What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to I've Heard That, the podcast from Heard App Marketing that discusses digital marketing trends, tips, and more. All right. Welcome this week. I have two new guests um, that have never been on our show before. So I'm very excited to welcome Sam and Ashley from our internal team here at Herdat. So Sam, welcome. What do you do here? Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I am the digital marketing strategist here. Awesome. And what do you work on? Everything, more or less. <laughs> digital marketing, but I keep a focus on email, paid search, and paid social. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. We do ask you to wear a lot of hats and Ashley, you too. What do you do here? Hi, um, I do. I am the paid search manager and I manage the paid ads on whatever platform that our client would like us to run ads on. Yeah. Lots of changes there too. So that's what we're going to dive into. Um, Two experts in their respective fields and lots of changes have happened over the past two years um, with cookies, not the chocolate chip kind, right? Um, (laughs) Not those cookies. Um, so we are going to be deep diving with these two on what is a cookie, how what's changed over the past two years, because there have been so many changes, and what's to come. So um, what is a cookie? So a cookie is essentially just a text file, right? So when you go to a website, that website is gathering data about what you're doing specifically on that site, when you got there, the pages you look at, and it's, it's seeing what's in your cart if you put things into a cart. And then the next time you go to that site, it's calling back that data. And it creates a better experience for the user because it can say, by the way, you had these three things in your cart. Do you still want them? Would you like to purchase them? It can give you a more tailored experience. That's the basics around a cookie. Then there's also tracking cookies. And those are the same concept, but that data can get passed around much more quickly. So we can send it to um, all sorts of social media sites. We can send it to data aggregate groups. We can send it all over the place and use it as we need it. Awesome. Awesome. And how long does a cookie um, follow a user? About 30 days typically, but we can actually set the length. The, The default is about 30 days. Awesome. I think um, one thing that many of our users were surprised to learn, um, and I guess it just like it's second nature for us, but that when you think of a cookie or you think of, I know I've been asked like, how come Facebook knows that it's it's stalking me and showing me these ads that I looked at? You know, I just was, I just was on that site yesterday. It's not so much. It is Facebook. It's Facebook's cookie or Google's cookie that's on that website's um, in that website's file, that's what's implanted. So like when you go to almost any website that's ever done advertising, they have Facebook and Google's cookie on their site. That's why, yes, it seems like Facebook stalking you, but actually the website agreed to that to add a tracking cookie, um, to their site. So when you visit, it follows you. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of our users didn't realize that like, oh, the website it's, they think it's like Facebook or Google stalking them. Kind of, but the website agreed to it by adding that file. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think you actually said a very specific word that's kind of laid out a really negative um, and, you know, thought for people. Stalking? It, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so basically, my thought is that, you know, when we have people that want to advertise, right, it's not that we're stalking people. It's not that we're trying to sell them something necessarily. It's the fact that everybody has problems, right? In fact, they probably have 99 problems, but our client has a solution that will solve one. And we're just making sure that it gets in front of the right person. Yeah, I really like that at the right time. And that's why the ad settings control who and when and what they see. It's just the cookie that's actually enabling us to make sure that it's the right person who's visited that. Absolutely. So the cookie ultimately is a good thing, whether it's online or you're eating it. (laughs) I do like cookies. (laughs) Cool. So what has changed? So, I mean, yeah, cookies were really, really still are prevalent. Um, but as I mentioned, lots of changes have happened in the past year. So walk us through what's changed. Everything. <laughs> Let's say it bluntly. That's, that's it. It's just everything across the board. Nothing's the same anymore. Yeah. New world. Um, well, I think for me, like a lot of it has started with some legislative changes. So CCPA is a California, um, legislation that a lot, that, regulates um users and privacy um the european one sam what's that one tell us a little bit yeah and that kind of um is also around the same idea of your data is yours and that's supposed to be um private if you'd like it to be private so we're allowing users to um choose their level of privacy or at least acknowledge that they may be followed and like what do they want like in an app, say, I'm sure we've all seen that, um, that little pop-up that says like, do you want to allow app between app, app to app tracking, or when you, um, load a website, what's the typical verbiage around that? Um, it usually, there's usually a banner on the website and it says something like we use cookies and it has a brief description of how those are being used, how your data is getting processed. And then it allows you to accept all some, which is passing all your data, some of your data, or none of your data to that website. Yeah. And so can you walk me through a few, a few use cases for, um, how would you know what you want? I mean, like say you're not overly private or not, like what's the difference in some of those selections and when would you say yes, no, maybe, I guess it's not, maybe it's some, but. (laughs) So I think we have to take a little step back and just kind of talk about the ideas around this data processing. You get a lot of things in the media and the news talking about this privacy breach and that data breach and people's data was getting sold all over the world. And that does happen, unfortunately, but it is sort of the minority group. So there's, there's some companies, there's some people out there that have done not so great things with others' data. And it's not everybody. And so the reason we have these protections now is to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Because as marketers, we are really focused on people. We don't want to take more than we need. We don't want to use that data or injure the people we're trying to reach in any way. And so when you make decisions, you want to share all your data, some of your data, none of your data. It might be something like, um, I want to have this website around, I want it to know what I put in my cart. So I'll share all my data so that it can match the cart to me. And then if you don't want that sort of experience, you might say, well, you can keep my email address. I'd like to hear from you. So I'll give you my email address and that's the only data you're going to get from me. That's a voluntary transaction. 
And if you tell it, I don't want anything, it won't ask you for anything and it won't take anything from you. It won't store the address of your computer. It won't store your behavior on the website. Just nothing will get stored. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Thanks for breaking it down for us. Um, Because as a marketer, I know there's a lot of different uses for that data. If someone chooses to share it, as you mentioned, maybe sharing their email versus sharing their cart versus sharing nothing. So um, tell me a little bit about how that's changed your role and what do you do now, Ashley, if people are not allowing it or um, not as much? I think this kind of goes back to a lot of the different brands, right? They really need to know who their client is. A lot of that does come from data analysis being able to interpret that data and then strategize and implement a plan to make sure that you're targeting the right person at the right time in the right place. So there are some different things that we can do test out audiences, whether it be on Facebook or Google. Um, Ultimately, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, putting in some different practices to ensure that the data that you are collecting is good data Definitely some different use cases, again, for if someone's allowing it or not allowing it. And I know initially, I guess, as a marketer, the marketing community's gut reaction was like, oh, no, we're not going to have this data. How are we going to track anything and market to the right people? Um, But I think since we've all kind of settled down, wrapped our minds around this, um, tell me a little bit, Sam, about where or how others marketers are supplementing that loss of that data. And turning it into maybe an opportunity. So I don't know that supplementing is quite what we're doing. (laughs) Uh, We'd love Making educated guesses probably. Yeah, making a lot of educated guesses. So, you know, some of us have been in the industry for a long time and others are just coming into it. This is their reality now. They don't have that background, so they're just working with it. But what we're seeing is that a lot of the platforms we use, Facebook or rather Meta, um, controlling Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn, Um, Google, all these different platforms we use to serve ads and then programs that connect into them are just no longer allowing us to see certain things or use certain data. When we upload data, when we access data, we have to prove its provenance, basically. We have to tell it, yes, we have permission to use this data. This is how we collected it. And if that comes to a head in any sort of legal issue, we can we can prove that we have all of the information we need to say, yes, this person or this group of people said we could use this information. And so that's that's not new, but it's certainly becoming more prevalent throughout the industry. We're seeing a lot more um, use cases with provenance required. We see that a lot in email, too. In the world of email, we have to upload a file with permissions directly in the file. And if those aren't there, you can't email anybody or you get in trouble for having that list up. Um, we are also seeing the way we reach people changing. So one example is if for maybe you're a luxury client, you have a luxury product. And in the past, you've reached people based on their income. Most people aren't volunteering their income to general websites. Uh, They're volunteering them to credit agencies. And that's really protected data. So we don't want to know what your income range is because that's really sensitive. And we want you to keep that as encrypted and private as possible. So as marketers, we generally don't use income ranges anymore. What we do for clients like that when we have a luxury product or service is we reach out to companies and levels in companies that we are making a guess about, they probably have this type of salary. We don't know that for sure, but just knowing the companies, knowing where we think those people are landing in the salary range, that's how we're reaching you. 
So it's a lot of base assumptions on things we know to be true in the world. And the rest of it is getting based on that data that is being volunteered. So talking about this person's email address, we know that email address signed up for this. We also can track it to this other website over here because you let us. And so we know you like gardening and cooking. And so we'll send you something about gardening or cooking or kitchen gardening, which is combining the two together. Awesome. Yeah. So we've um, had to rely on our marketing, um, I guess, knowledge and making those educated assumptions to reach the audience versus just being spoon fed the data of saying like, oh, here's this lady. Here's what she makes. Here's what she's interested in. Okay. Yep. Check. We'll market to her. Mm -hmm. So our job has become, I feel like a lot more of thinking through what we're actually working with and how we can reach them in a creative way. I mean, it's an opportunity. So yeah, it's, it's definitely more qualitative data and thick data. So it's something that I think a lot of people were advocating for years ago. We saw the decline of major businesses that weren't listening to what their users were actually saying. Yeah. They knew their sales were declining, but why were those sales declining? Right. Um, So I think it's, you know, having an ear to that, um, being engaged in community, that's something that social media provides immensely compared to other platforms. You know, I think one of the things I've always advocated for as a paid search person is organic, right, to complement that paid search or um, paid ads specifically on social media. So if you have a brand that's very active on organic and they're engaging all the time with their um, their community there, then they're going to have more insight into the kind of things that they respond to, the kind of reactions that they get based upon engagement rates. Taking that a bit further, there's a huge opportunity right there to take um, surveys within those social media platforms. You're meeting people where they are, the places where they're already interacting. If you're creating content that can actually engage them, then you're going to get that data right there on the platform without even having to worry about tracking them off of the platform. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Also, we've primarily talked about um, cookies and a little bit about privacy, but Apple has also in the past two years made a change. Um, Share with me about that change. Oh, Sam can probably (laughs) explain this a little bit better than me. Yeah, I think that's where my department. Um, So Apple is rolling out some very competitive changes because all these different major groups, these browser groups, these operating system groups, these device groups, they want to be on the same page. But they also kind of want to outcompete each other. So they're going about things in different ways. Over the last couple of years, Apple has really started to focus on email and email privacy because by the numbers, email is still probably the top channel for making sales happen and making conversions happen. It's one of the major ways businesses interact with their customers. And you can throw a lot of data around through email. So we can, in the past, we could tell who we were sending it to because you've given us your email address. We know that we're sending to you. But we could also see when you were opening something. So if you were more active at 7 p.m., we could see that. We can tell that you clicked on something. We used to be able to tell that we you don't know what time of day you were clicking on something which also mattered to us because maybe if we made a sale then let's say it was to come into your favorite restaurant you clicked on it at exactly 12 noon we know you're available for lunch so we're going to market more to you during the lunch period 
A lot of that has gone away now. Apple wants to hide people, for good reason, behind this sort of barricade. And what they're doing is when you get an email and that email has a tracking cookie, first thing it's doing is it's disabling most of the tracking cookies if they're what we call third-party cookies. The other thing it's doing is that it is opening that email for you ahead of time on the server. What that does is it tells our system this email was opened, but it's not actually your data getting passed through. This caused a really big disaster in the world of email over the first few months because open rates were king. That was how we were really telling how our email was reaching people and whether or not it worked. If you opened it, you were interested in it. We got your attention. And all of a sudden, the servers are opening emails for us and we're getting 200% level open rates, which is not possible. Like it's doing great. Just kidding. That's not the server. (laughs) So what we had to do was take a step back from that metric. Some platforms like HubSpot are now offering this metric called calculated open rate. And it's this formula they're using to give you a better idea of the real opens based on existing data. And again, that's pretty anonymous data. It's just saying you clicked and opened an email. Um, But for the rest of everybody, for other platforms, MailChimp and whatnot, we still can't really see a reliable open rate. So we're not looking at that as much. We're looking at clicks, which is when you make that choice from your email address to click on something because it interested you. We still aren't gathering your home address or your phone number. We just know that this email address is now on the website. You've clicked through to the website because you're interested. And that's all we have from that. No, that makes sense. So, I mean, it's just, again, marketers need to adapt to not relying so heavily on the open rate. Mm -hmm. Um, Clearly that metric isn't as useful as it once previously was and making, um, strategizing around what they are seeing on like, as you mentioned, click behavior or on-site behavior to kind of tie that back into the loop and say, okay, well then let's do some email marketing around these products or whatever we're seeing behaving and performing well on our site. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, um, anything else that you want to share with businesses and how they can adapt or marketers? I think for me, what I'm seeing a push for is more creatives overall. I think when a company decides that they're going to be advertising, they should anticipate budgeting and um, creative work, specifically video. I think that's how people want to interact with brands. They should also approach it on a multi-channel facet, just be omni-channel as much as possible. Um, you have to think of it this way when you're, when you're getting to know someone, the more often you see them and the more places you see them, the more likely you are to trust them. And so, you know, you're not necessarily going to trust somebody that you see every once in a while and you only (laughs) see them in that one place. Right. Also helps us, um, brands stay top of mind that way when they are ready to make that purchase, that's the first brand they think of. So approach it with the fact that you want to, um, allocate budget toward video ads, toward being on multiple platforms, you know, and after a while, if analyzing the data that we do have access to, we see that um, our audience is only interacting or mostly interacting on a specific platform, we can always pivot. I think approaching it that way is going to be the best bet, especially if you are a brand that's new to digital. Mm -hmm. And to that point, if you're new to digital, if you don't have an existing background in digital marketing, we are going into this with our experience backing us, but we still have to get to know how your brand interacts with people online. Even if we're controlling that for you, we're doing all the the heavy lifting and we're working on interacting with people, people are the 
kind of wild card. We don't know what they're going to think until they tell us. And that's probably the most critical piece of data of all. And so if you're a new business, if you're an old business that's been around a while and you're just getting into this world, give us a little bit of time where we can work with you and we can work with your potential customers because we all have to look at that data together and make some decisions. And it's really important that we try things and experiment in the field in order to see what the best um, decisions are that are going to work for you, the best place for you online, the best way to interact with people. And that's all things that come with experience over time. So, you know, give us a few months. We will definitely talk to you about what's happening. If we see something that's really working, we're going to keep going with that and make sure that just gets you to all of the goals you have. Absolutely. And don't, don't be afraid to test. Yeah. I think that's a major shift for a lot of brands and businesses that we're used to saying like, okay, well, when I'm ready to do paid ads, I can just turn this on and reach these people and it's going to cost mm-hmm. this much. And now we uh, can't rely on the metrics or the demographics or the data that we had previously to say like, yep, we can just turn it on and that's who we're going to reach. It is so it is that degree of um, trying, testing, measuring what is working and what they're engaging with to help build out future campaigns and future initiatives. And as Ashley mentioned too, like the omni-channel approach versus just like, let's turn on paid, let's do an email. It's got to be a, a full strategy, an omni-channel strategy in order to get all of that data to build this picture of who we're reaching and how they're engaging with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, these platforms are adapting to that environment as well. You know, the, the thought is the algorithmic learning. So when you're putting in, you know, multiple headlines, multiple creatives, multiple videos and allowing the algorithm to determine how and who those ads are displayed to, um, that's going to give you the strongest conversion rate. Ultimately, Um, super excited about performance max campaigns that are coming out and Facebook's even kind of mirroring that with the ability to add in those multiple different um, subject line descriptions. So that way, you know, it's not necessarily a situation where we let it run for a week or two and then we go and analyze and make, you know, a decision based upon the data that we're seeing. We're allowing um, real time decision making um, and putting um, some trust, some faith <laughs> into the algorithm yeah. to determine how those ads are best served. And they're using their big data sets to train their yes, algorithm. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, it, it is using data. It's just protected yeah, absolutely. Um, especially Google. So, I mean, with Performance Max in particular, you're getting a hold of Google's entire suite of products. And so, you know, I mean, YouTube users, Gmail users, display, na- whether it's native or other, it's it's going to, um, you know, they're using all of their data that they have to display those different products or I'm sorry, those different ads for those individuals as they interact on those platforms. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you both. I always learn so much. I'm sure there will be more to come. As we mentioned, these, um, the regulations on cookies and uh, what needs to change is 2024, right? So we will have to circle back to this because it's not over yet. We're continually learning and growing. And as you mentioned, the algorithms learning and growing and changing. So we just continue to adapt as marketers and brands. So thank you so much for joining us today, Sam and Ashley. Always a pleasure. And I can't wait to have you guys back. Okay. Thank you, Max. (laughs) Awesome. Remember to like, rate, and subscribe if you want more from our experts. We're so excited to have more on uh, and there's more to come this season. Thanks. Thanks.
I've Heard That is a part of the Heard At Media Network. For more information, follow Heard At on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram, or visit HerdAtMarketing.com. A Heard At Media Production.